1: also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hey and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant, which makes this stuff you should know. Heck, no, we won't go. That's different. Heck, no, we won't record. That's more along the lines <laughs> of what we're talking about. Better pay for podcasters. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we could get together with like Adam Curry and um, Joe yeah. Rogan and yeah. Mark May. Um, maybe even Ira. Mm. and form, like, uh, some sort of local. He would be our Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. Ira would be. Is that a threat? No. Are you threatening Ira Glass? No, he would be our Jimmy Hoffa. He would make things happen. James P. Hoffa? The one that the current Teamsters president?
3: Either one. I'm not saying get rid of him, bury him in Giant Stadium. I'm saying Ira would make it happen. He would break legs.
2: Oh, okay. If need be. Well, he's well known for that kind of thing. There's a leg-breaking goon. <laughs> um, so, for those of you who've already seen the title of this, you are, you are, you understand the banter, I guess. Sure. If you have no idea what we're talking about, I'll bet you guessed by now that we're talking about labor unions today. Yeah, yeah?
3: it's a good one, man. We had this requested a lot last year from uh, Scotties, <laughs> right? When the we're whole just, Wisconsin uh, Scott Walker thing was. Going I
2: know, right? and we're just now getting to it because the Scott Walker thing is like my intro. <laughs> Well, let's hear it. So, do you remember last year in Wisconsin, Chuck, Yes. There was this big hubbub that was going on, and it, a lot of people were wondering if this is going to be like the beginning of the Arab Spring in the United States. Yeah. This is going to be the flashpoint for it, because uh, Governor Scott Walker was accused of trying to de-unionize the uh, public sector employees, state employees. Yeah. Um Through a little bit of legislation that he was trying to introduce.
3: That is very true, and it uh, caused quite a stir, like thousands of protesters.
2: Yeah, there was some serious protests going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the heart of this whole thing was some legislation where he uh, was trying to get the public sector employees' unions um, to get their union members, e.g. the public, or i.e., the public sector employees. Yes. IE means that is, EG is for example. I I realize that. Uh, To basically pay in half of their pensions. Yeah. um, To uh, give up some other concessions, like um, if they were going to get a raise, it had to be through public referendum.
3: Yeah. Anything over a rate of inflation, I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, But probably the biggest one was that they were stripped of their ability to uh, collectively bargain. Yeah, that was the big one. And it worked. It got pushed through. And now if you are a state employee union member in Wisconsin, you can't collectively bargain anymore, which means you are effectively neutered as a union member in a lot of ways. True. That is one of the hallmarks of the unions. And depending on where you come from, what you believe, who raised you, uh, whether or not your grandpa was still alive when you were old enough to understand what he was talking about mm-hmm. um, that I think that largely depends on how you feel about unions. A lot of people think they're a good thing yeah. a lot of th- people think they're bad. A lot of people think they're necessary. A lot of people think they're evil. A lot of people think they're a necessary evil <laughs> And in fact they're kind of um, America as it stands is kind of split down the middle. These days, Uh, a Pew poll that was taken during this whole hubbub in Wisconsin, um, showed that 45% of Americans had a positive view of organized labor. Okay. Which I found surprising. You thought that was high? Yeah, Yeah, I was, I was surprised because the, um, the decline of union has also been attended by a, change in perception toward them, you know, like they're kind of bad or that they hamstring business is another big one. Um, But they also found that 51% still believe unions are needed to improve working people's lives. Right. So, necessary evil. I nailed it.
3: You did. And uh, unsurprisingly, a lot of times your feelings on unions are drawn along political lines these days.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're uh, often accused especially of being like the, um, an organizing backbone for the Democratic Party. Sure. But that's not always true. Like, um, very frequently unions throw their weight and their support behind Republicans as well. Sure. At any rate, let's get to the bottom of what all this is. Are, are unions good? We're probably going to avoid this kind of, uh, qualitative descriptor and instead just kind of stick to the facts and let the people decide. Power to the people to decide uh, whether unions are good or not. I think that's a
3: good move, Josh. Thank you. Uh, so we got stats. We'll get to those later. Unions, Josh. Uh, Industrial <laughs> Revolution is kind of where – actually, we go back further, which we will, with yeah. uh, what, medieval times? Yeah, the the uh, trade guilds. Trade guilds sort of were the beginning seeds of unions and – uh, they originally sort of came about though just to, uh, swap techniques and recipes and, uh, then that sort of evolved a bit into, hey, why don't we get together and also share, aside from our knowledge, get together and maybe share expertise on how to, how to do things better and get better, uh, wages maybe.
2: Or fix prices, that's one. Yeah. Before they figured out that that was, um, Immoral. And this is medieval Europe, long time ago. Yeah. Uh, and the trade guilds um, were definitely the origin of unions. It's just a bunch of workers getting together <clears throat> and figuring out, because this is essentially what a union is, mm-hmm. that they have um, more strength in numbers. Exactly. Um, and it's also an indication of workers understanding their value in the production process. Sure. That what they're essentially doing in return for their salary – was producing a profit for a business. Yeah. So you have labor and business, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that gives them a certain sense of value. Whereas uh, in a lot of situations, workers feel like, you know, they're very grateful for their job and they don't want to make any waves or anything like right. that. And they're not f- fully aware of their value. Um, and sure. I think unions, one of the roles that unions play is to point out to a worker, hey, You're doing something in return. This isn't some sort of welfare situation that you're involved in. You're producing labor, and that has value. Yeah, and certain rights as well. Exactly.
3: All right, so flash forward a bit to the Industrial Revolution, 19th century. Uh, Things moved away a little bit from agriculture uh, and agricultural jobs, moved into the factories, as we all know, and kind of right off the bat, factories weren't a good scene for fair wages and... Safe conditions and kids working in factories and <laughs> women and children not being paid as much as uh,
2: men. Um, Triangle Shirtwaist Fire. That was a big turning point. What was? The Triangle Shirtwaist Company Fire where I don't um, think I knew about that. the working conditions were really, really dangerous. It was a clothing company, a clothing uh-huh. manufacturer, I think in Chicago or New York. I can't remember. Um, and it caught fire. The um, factory did oh, yeah? because there was all this... Fabric in the air, right? And it just ignited, and the whole place went up, and all of these women had to jump to their deaths, Good lord. and um, that kind of brought in um, brought working conditions into the limelight well, and helped union um, sentiment, I guess. A flashpoint, if you will.
3: <laughs> exactly. From your favorite, Mr. Cladwell. <laughs> then
2: he a flash flashpoint, tipping point. Oh, tipping point.
3: Good lord, <laughs> get it together, Chuck. Okay. I've got it together now. Okay. Tipping point. Yeah. I had to take a little break. Uh, in the 19th century, they would do things, uh, called striking. Yeah. Which, uh, they still do today, but back then, it was a more, uh, contentious and violent affair than it is today. Yeah. Like, people died. Bombs went off. Guns were shot.
2: Yeah. There was, uh, and it was on both sides too. I mean, like, the, uh, workers were striking the the point was the whole was the same yeah. where we're we're not working anymore and you're not going to make any money because we're not producing the product that you need to go sell right right um but during these times like the national guard would show up or um the cops would show up or maybe the pinkerton detective agency would show up yeah. and just start beating the tar out of the striking workers in order to scare them back into working uh, workers also would, um, defend themselves. Uh, there was this one, I can't remember what strike it was. I just read about it where like the workers managed to like chase the cops off. Really? Because they were, they were shooting two pound hinges in these oversized slingshots, like at the cops. And really? I can imagine getting hit by a two pound hinge. So it was a hinge factory? I it had to have been. Yeah, Sure. But yeah, so the strikes were very violent. People like you said would die. And the cops were like, why couldn't the cotton ball factory have been on <laughs> <Exactly>. strike? <laughs>
3: uh, but not funny though, cuz people did die. Uh, not making light of it. Like the Haymarket Riot, for instance, yeah. uh, for instance. That was a big one. For instance. That was a turning point,
2: a flashpoint if you will.
3: It was. Uh, early May 1886, um there was a nationwide strike saying we only want to work 8 hours a day. Um and in Chicago's Haymarket there was a violent protest. Um, not a lot of people were there because of the weather, thank goodness, because someone threw a bomb into the crowd. Yeah. And it went off, and shots were fired by the cops, maybe by the protesters. And Probably Apparently, both. they were not just striking laborers, but they were anarchists there, and
2: uh, you know those
3: anarchists. Yeah. They're, they're trouble.
2: <laughs> well, um, this is one of the places where, in the public imagination at least, that uh, – Anarchists and socialists became married to labor, like pro-labor. Yeah. Um, And that's always kind of haunted labor unions. Sure. Is that idea. But it was born out of this era, if not this riot. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, In the end, uh, eight people were charged and convicted. Um,
3: The labor uh, leaders tried to get them out, saying this is not fair. One of the people committed suicide by placing a stick of dynamite in his mouth in prison. Yeah. Phew. Yeah. and uh in the end in uh a few years uh, later, the Governor of Illinois granted a full pardon to the remaining three convicted, and that ended up leading to an observance of May Day or Labor Day in other countries
2: right may first is yeah. supposed to be labor day um this whole affair though you, you left out that four of the guys who were convicted were hanged oh well yeah, and then one guy committed suicide and then three were um, right, but they were charged with like basically. Agitating violence. Um, this was back when free speech wasn't protected quite as much as it is now. Right. Um, but the, uh, they, and they were pardoned. And as a result, this whole May Day thing, this Labor Day thing came up about, in May 1st. But then within like five years, Grover Cleveland was like, well, this is kind of a sordid, like scary association with labor. Let's just yeah. celebrate labor. And I'm going to move it to, um, the first Saturday, no, the first Monday. Monday in September. Saturday would be no good because we wouldn't get off work. Exactly. Uh, did
3: he move it to, to disassociate from yeah. that?
2: Oh, interesting. Specifically.
3: So that's why you can't wear white after September. Uh, September.
2: Exactly. That's exactly the origin of that.
3: <laughs> all right. So maybe let's talk about some of the basics of a labor union, Josh. Um, there's many different kinds. And like you said, it's all about strength in numbers, to get together to form what's called a bargaining unit um, with an elected leader to deal with the employer,
2: right? Because I mean, think about it: if you are, if you have somebody who's advocating for your success, for your rights, mm-hmm. higher wages, better conditions, whatever it might be, um, you are removing yourself to a certain extent from that negotiation. Yeah. So it's a little less sticky for you. Sure. Because you're not talking to your employer. You're not saying, I I really want some more money. Mm -hmm. Somebody else is going, these guys are making a bunch of money for you and you need to share it a little better. Like an agent. Exactly, right. In a way. And at the same time, you also have that element of that bargaining unit being a collective bargaining unit, meaning there's that strength in numbers. So it's a bunch of people becoming satisfied at the same time and- implied in there is if you don't do this, then you're going to lose a bunch of people all at once and you're going to have some trouble.
3: Right, and uh, they do this uh, agreement in the form of the CBA, or Collective Bargaining Agreement. Any fan of any professional sports will understand what a CBA is and how tenuous they can be. Yeah. Uh, Once you have negotiated this agreement and everyone... On the employer side says, you know, we can live with these terms. And everyone on the employee side said, yeah, we can live with this. We both give a little bit. They sign it, and uh, it is set for a certain period of time, and you cannot break the CBA on either side without there being uh, legal action or grievances filed, uh, which usually means an arbitrator will come in and say, you know, let me get involved.
2: Right. Um, you, I feel like, just hit the nail on the head, though, for an ideal – union presence in business
3: everyone give a little
2: yeah you know you can't have um too much for on one side or the other but i think that that's kind of the history of um the presence of unions in business in america it's been if you look over time it's maybe evened out but if you look at in any specific decade there's it's more on one side than the other
3: of as far as who's in the beneficial position, right? Yeah. Or
2: who's asking more? Who's extracting more? Yeah, like um, Samuel Gompers, who uh, who got together the uh, American Federation of Labor, I think. Yeah, he, when he was asked what the AFL wanted, uh, his answer was more. Yeah, That's and I mean, famous quote. Yeah, but at the same time, you have to say, well, business isn't going to just say just give it away. Very sure. rarely do they. Um, the whole presence of unions is to extract that at least that was the original idea of them yeah you know uh
3: unions like any organization costs a little money to run um so you have to pay dues it's a membership thing right um if i was in the screen actors guild which i'm not (laughs) i would pay dues to the screen actors guild every year to keep my membership current and then they would go fight for me and they would have a staff that gets paid out of that money right um i love in here that it says Dues vary, but many are around fifty dollars a month. What a deal! Yeah, I think it's it's com- it completely varies depending on what union you're in. Sure, I don't know that you can put an average number, or maybe you can if you average it.
2: Well, if you counted them all up and yeah, but them I don't think numbers. that's what they did here. <laughs> um, no, it was fifty dollars a month. Yeah. Um, act now. Uh, they're also supposed to be democracies with elected True. officials, uh, elected leaders, who. Um, take action based on referendums and votes and basically just using um, voting to take the pulse of the uh, union members to see what they want to do. Ideally, that's how it works. Yeah.
3: I get the feeling it doesn't always work that way throughout history.
2: Yeah, especially uh, once the mob got involved. Yes, which
3: we'll get to. Um, A lot of times you can be a local union member, which is sort of like being a, a fraternity member of a larger National charter, uh, and if you're a local uh, union, that means that you uh, maybe work in that same business sector, but you're employed by a different company. But it's like, hey, I'm in the, and I keep going back to film business stuff because they were lousy with unions, still are. Uh, like, hey, I'm, a, I work in the art department. I'm a props guy, so I'm a member of the local, I uh, can't remember the number union here in Atlanta, but it's a national charter, probably based right. out of L.A. If yeah, I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah. It's like um, a chapter of a fraternity or a sorority. Yeah, which is what I said. Yeah. Hmm. Did you say fraternity or sorority? Yeah. No, you didn't. I said fraternity. Wow. (laughs) You didn't. You didn't add sorority.
3: No, no. Good point. Sororities as well.
2: What's the point of all this? I think we've kind of touched on a little bit of it, like in, in the, especially in the strength and numbers thing, but there's other benefits to being in a union, correct?
3: Yeah. Um, should we throw out some stats here?
2: I think this is high time for stats. Uh,
3: your wages, for one. Your median weekly income uh, is going to be, as a union member, about $940. Uh, it's going to be about $730 if you're non-union. Um Let me see here.
2: You've got some about health care, correct? Uh, Yeah. So 88% of union workers, and this is from the Department of Labor. This isn't like from the AFL-CIO or anything. Right. Um, 88% of um, union workers have health coverage. 69% of non-union workers don't do. Yeah. Um, It's the same with dental plans. The disparity is even more. 44% of non-union workers have dental plans where something like 66% have a dental plan if you're a member of a union. Um, half of union jobs have vision yeah. coverage, and only about a quarter of non-union jobs uh, have it. Which, in reading this also, I was kind of like, man, we have pretty good benefits here at Discovery. Yeah, we do. You know, uh,
3: If you're a minority, if you're a woman, uh, African-American or Latino, you're going to make more money. Uh, women earn about 9000 more a year if you're in a union. Uh, African Americans, 8000 more a year. And Latinos, uh, close to 12000 more a year if you're a union member. Yeah. So aside from uh, safe working conditions and uh, health insurance and things like that, which are great wages – Are really the big deal.
2: Right. Wages, benefits, um, pensions are another huge thing as well. Yeah, pensions, sure. Um, And they're also there to um, protect workers from being unjustly fired. So, Uh, like, we're we're non union and we could, somebody could come in here and say, you know what? I didn't like the way that you uh, looked at your boss. I saw you scowling. You're You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. And we'd be like, you can't do that. And they'd be like, oh, yes, we can. And that would be that. Yeah. Right? Um, there was like a big hubbub in Florida about some, uh, some workers that all wore orange, uh, either depending on who you ask, because they were all going to happy hour together that night, or because they were, um, simulating prisoner garb to, um, protest the working conditions at this law firm. Which is really what they were doing. And like, Twelve of them were fired. They were just taken really? into a conference room, and the guy was like, "You're all fired," and that's that. And they're like, "You can't fire us for wearing an orange shirt." And actually, yes, very much so. The since it's a uh, work, a right to work state, yeah, or an at will work state, yeah, right to work. Um, the 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 employer very much can fire you for wearing something as seemingly arbitrary as wearing orange. Interesting. If you're a union member, that is not the case. The union protects you from unjust dismissal, right? And basically, you—if you feel like you've been fired for wearing orange—you can go to your union rep, and a big stink comes about, right? So that's another big one is protecting them. But I also feel like here is a good point to mention a lot of the criticisms of unions, okay? Because that same protection from unjust dismissal, um. Unions are frequently criticized for that extending to workers who perform poorly. Sure. if like It's part of that give, I think, with unions among labor to say, okay, yes, we're going to protect you, but you have to be productive or you have to be good at your job or whatever.
3: Right. Don't hide under the, uh, the shield of the union just to go phone in your, your job every day. And collect your paycheck.
2: Exactly. And, uh, you, you know, flaunt that protection. That's yeah. not what it's there for. Um, another big criticism is that union, just the presence of unions in, in any country, harms economic progress on the whole by hamstringing business and making it less competitive among countries that don't have unions. Right. Um, and f- so for states that have state employee unions, a big one is that um, state employee pensions can be a drain on um, tight state economies. Right. Uh, That's another big one, too. So there's criticisms of unions that are very legitimate, true. But, uh, again, I think it comes down to, like, where your political affiliation is.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, uh, these days, uh, Republicans are more likely to not be in favor of unions, and they have consistently been called the backbone of the Democratic Party. Uh, That wasn't always the case, though. Um, The 1950s... uh, Republican President Dwight Eisenhower um, said that unions have a secure place in our industrial life. Only a handful of reactionaries harbor the ugly thought of breaking unions and depriving working men and women of the right to join the union of their choice. Yeah. And also throughout history, unions have kind of dabbled outside their own uh, labor negotiations and protection to fight for things like uh, Medicare uh, Social security. Civil rights. C- civil rights was a big one. Um, I think, uh, Missouri, uh, Congressman Richard Bowling said, quote, we would have never passed the Civil Rights Act without labor. Uh, they had the muscle. The other civil rights groups did not. Yeah. So they're, you know, you don't want to see anyone strong arm, but there is certainly something to be said for strength in numbers, especially when it comes to something like, uh, the Civil Rights Act.
2: Yeah. Um, the, uh, who was it, Eisenhower, who had that quote about yeah. union rights? Um, Eisenhower was speaking at a time that was just after the peak of union membership. In 1945, um, 35% of all non-agricultural workers, which is like everybody but farmers, yeah. um, belonged to unions. Now it's down to 11.8%.
3: Yeah, and um- – the public se- sector, uh, 37%, but where they're really getting hurt is the private sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, less than 7% of the private sector is unionized these days. Right. And there's a lot of people that uh, say a lot of the problems that we have in Washington and a lot of the financial troubles we've had in this country have been to a certain degree um, because of the non-unionizing of like the Rust Belt right. in the private sector.
2: So um, two sociologists, Bruce Western and Jake Rosenfeld, actually wrote a paper that said that um, the decline of organized labor unions um, from the 1970s on can account for as much as a third of the um, increase in uh, income inequality in yeah. the U.S., which has been significant. Sure. And they, they can attribute a third of that increase just to the decline of labor
3: well, and I think it also coincided with the nineteen seventies uh some say that big business really went hard at washington yeah. for the uh not for the first time but in a way that they'd never had before, and that changed the landscape of uh the distribution of wealth uh in this country
2: yeah, and that's a really interesting um point, Chuck, like we were raised after that period, yeah. But so that's just kind of like our, you know, we the secret of my success or um, American Psycho, you know, all those great movies about the 80s or -hmm. set in the 80s. Like that's just the way it was like all these like you just go after money and like you spend that money on cocaine and pinstripe suits, (laughs) you know, and Maseratis or whatever. Um, And so we were kind of raised with that sentiment. But there was a time. Prior to the 1970s, where it was labor who was running the the charge. It was the unions, and they were fully in control. Yeah. And business figured out how to regroup and reassert itself, and that's the age that we're in now. Um, so uh, back to Eisenhower, though. When he was talking, he was kind of carrying on a tradition where the U.S. government figured out that, okay, there is a um, – There is a balance of power that has to be struck between labor and business. Yeah. Because business is part of this economic engine. Labor helps fuel the economic engine. But they really kind of represent two different sectors. Yeah. Of the the U.S. not just econ- economy but the population, and we need to keep them happy. We need to strike this balance. So the federal government got involved, starting in 1935 with the um, National Labor Relations Act, and they basically said, "Okay, we can't have strikes where you guys are shooting two-pound hinges at cops, yeah, and we can't have strikes where cops are like murdering uh, striking workers. Let's get to the heart of this matter and figure out how to strike a happy balance between what labor wants and what business." Business wants and progress from there, and it was a really smart thing to do. But they figured out that it was very much like Homer trying to keep Pinchy Lobster alive with the goldfish in that freshwater (laughs) tank. You know, yeah, adding salt, adding water, um, and it's been that was kind of the mark of the twentieth century in in American economic history was that adding the salt and adding the water over time through legislation. Yeah.
3: Well, and the uh, NLRA was, like you said, the first one. And prior to that, they, companies didn't even have to recognize a union or negotiate with a union leader. Right. So this actually required by law that they, not necessarily that they give, workers what they want, but they had to at least negotiate in good faith right? and sit down at the table with
2: them. Yeah, which effectively said it brought unions out of the dark and legalized them and yeah. gave them a legal voice and legal recourse.
3: That's right. And to enforce that, they uh, soon passed the National Labor Relations Board to oversee uh, what was going on with the NLRA. And um, the article points out here that they accomplished three things. Um, it allowed workers to have elections. To you know, elect their own union leaders, mm-hmm. um, establish laws protecting employees from discrimination based on union activity. So, like, are you union? Well, we don't want to hire you.
2: That kind of thing. Or even worse, like in the case of Ford Motor Company, led Ford's security wing, led by Harry Bennett, a two thousand man strong goon squad, right? That used to like beat up workers, beat up like organizers, beat up union reps. Um, and do it like on camera. They really were kind of above the law in a lot of ways. Yeah. But this was definitely tar. That was targeted at guys like that
3: for the goons. Yeah. Um. And this kind of sneaks by, but important. Uh. An important thing to note here is an LRA also protected collective bargaining, even if you're not in a union, and the ability to uh, bargain for better conditions. Yeah. For all workers. So i mean it's it's the unions was one of the main things, but it protected everybody,
2: yep, but not everybody. There were a bunch of groups that were left out of this agricultural workers, um domestic service workers, um federal, state, and local government employees, which obviously yeah w- went went a different way' sure, um railroad and airline employees that one kind of became important, like we talked about in the air traffic control one. Um, under Reagan, when he fired all the air traffic controllers. Yeah. You know, who went on strike?
3: Yeah. And that's important. Um, I guess was that the Taft-Hartley that ensured? Yeah. Taft-Hartley Act came along in 1947 or the Labor Management Relations Act. And one of the important things it did was said, you know what? If there's any strike that's going to put the public health in danger, then we can issue an 80-day injunction that basically says you cannot strike. Right. And in the mm-hmm. case of the, uh, I guess was did that put the country in
2: danger necessarily? I, I put the country's economy in danger. I yeah. would say, but at the same time, Reagan didn't have file an injunction through the um, through Labor Taft. Relations Board. He Just said, "Fired, you're fired. Okay. get back to work." No, you're fired. Man, that guy.
3: I know. Uh, and what else did that? Oh, it uh, outlawed secondary boycotts. The Taft Hartley Labor Act, which was a big deal because the example they use here in this uh, article is really good. Like, let's say you're um, a brewery and you're striking against your employer. You might have a boycott against the glass company that makes the beer bottles uh, just to put the strong arm on the company from another direction. Yeah. And you can't do that.
2: It's called the squeeze. You can't do the squeeze. It's not Um, not legal. You can't as a union, but consumers frequently do that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, sure. It's like um, trying to get, like, Rush Limbaugh off there, boycotted – a lot of people boycotted his – Advertisers right. Until they said, you know what, okay, we'll, we'll stop advertising with them. And then all of a sudden Rush Limbaugh has the double squeeze on him. Right. Same with <laughs> the, um, I can't remember, there was some special interest group, some PAC uh, that was getting funding from like McDonald's, Wendy's, a bunch of people. And um, because of their alleged unfair and... Um, very much pro-business-only practices, um, like all of these companies, has kind of abandoned them recently. Really? Yeah. Hmm. ALEC, A-L-E-C. I don't remember what it stands for. ALEC Baldwin? No. 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 Okay.
3: (laughs) You sure? Yes. Uh, The Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act of 1959, Josh? Mm -hmm.
2: What's that all about? Well, this was during a time when um, the winds had really shifted toward not only the unions having the uh, their labor um, business under their thumb, they also had their union members under their thumb. Right. The mob was involved. The, the democracy um, or the democratic basis of unions had eroded. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a lot of shady stuff going on. Um, this, what I thought was cool was rather than the federal government going, oh, well, then we need to re- reinvigorate the power given to business yeah. under these union laws. Instead, they went and invested more power in union members. That's right. Yeah. Like you couldn't use union dues anymore to promote one candidate over another in a union for yeah, union reps.
3: The elections were really uh, pretty heavily monitored from that point on. Uh-huh. Uh Every single union member has to be notified by mail at least 15 days before the election. Yeah. Like you can't sneak an election by them, which... Probably used to happen in the old days.
2: Yep. Um, to to increase transparency in the whole union thing, there was a lot of um, disclosure and reporting uh, requirements that were added. Yeah. And not just for the unions, but for also like employers, consultants. They wanted to know where the money was going, and basically they wanted to see how the mob was involved was a big one. Right.
3: Well, yeah. and speaking of money, um, I don't think we pointed out that a lot of times um, <coughs> unions will have uh, strike funds. And some of the money that you pay into it will actually pay you when you go on strike to keep you from going hungry.
2: Yeah, it's like Affleck.
3: <laughs> you know that Gilbert Godfrey doesn't do that anymore, I don't think.
2: I know, and I wonder how ironic would it be if he had Affleck insurance and that it kicked in once Affleck fired him. Interesting. Why do you, I think he got fired because he wanted too much money. No, no, he got fired for um, making Twitter jokes about... Um, the Japanese tsunami, like the really? day of yeah, oh,
3: I thought it was a money issue,
2: yeah, I'm worried about the sense of humor in this country and the direction it's going, like uh, there's stand up comedians have always almost always been allowed to st- some they're exempted from a lot of the sure. standards that average Joes are held to, you know, like they're stand up comedians, that's their job. Sometimes they make tasteless jokes and all that stuff. Yeah,
3: they'll go over the line and they'll just go, people go, ooh, and they'll go, what, too soon? And it, then that's Right,
2: it. exactly. And then people will be like, yes, it is. Right. Um, but the, there seems to be, it seems to be open season on comedians.
3: Well, because of platforms that they've never had before, probably like Twitter. I guess. I guess. All of a sudden, that's like your official statement instead yeah. of a joke you made.
2: Or Yeah, and the audience is much, much wider and much more... Um, varied and diverse too, so. Yeah, true. Yeah.
3: I bet Gilbert Gottfried's so pissed off. I would imagine so. Because, I mean, you got, tell me, there's like <clears throat> not 10,000 people lining up voice actors to go, AFRAC, ah, for a huge I, paycheck. I think
2: you just made a pretty good <laughs> argument for yourself. <laughs> that wasn't as good as GG, but. But, I mean, and the problem is, is I realize what's at risk is, you know, cultural sensitivity, even individual sensitivity toward people who are going to be offended or hurt. Yeah. But there also there has to be a balance between that, and I mean, the other thing that's at risk is like our national sense of humor, yeah, which is really important. It's one of the things you could be like, "Well, that's just a stupid joke." No, like our ability to take a joke is a very vital and important thing about keeping us from like all you know killing ourselves. Yeah, and one of the roles that stand-up comedians provide, or any kind of comedian provides, is to keep that healthy and vital and going. Agreed. There's nothing
3: more of a turnoff to me than when you see a humorless celebrity. Oh, man. Like when Ricky Gervais is doing his thing at the Golden Globes and you see like the people out there that just are offended by this. I'm like, come on, man.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I I, I think. Uh, Laugh I can at see, yourself. I can see Ricky Gervais being. We'll, we'll make him the sacrificial lamb. Leave Gilbert Godfrey alone, you know? <laughs> man, that was a sidebar. Yes, it was.
3: Are we talking about labor unions?
2: I don't remember.
3: Labor unions today, Josh, you mentioned the AFL-CIO. Um, a lot of people might not know that that is actually a collection. It's a labor federation yeah. made up of 54 member unions, 10 million strong.
2: That's a lot of people.
3: Change to win is sort of a new one. 2005 it was formed, but it is an, uh, also a labor federation encompassing uh, seven unions and six million workers. Big time.
2: Yeah, the AFL uh, was a uh, Founded by Samuel Gompers, who I mentioned earlier. That's right. And he got some cigar makers and some other um, industrial laborers together to form that. And then that was in the late 19th century. Yeah. And I can't remember exactly when, but maybe in the 40s or the 50s, uh, he got together with the CIO to form the AFL-CIO. Because he loves cigars. UAW is a huge one.
3: Uh, Auto Workers? Yeah. They
2: have something like um, 1.4 million members. Uh no, I'm sorry, the Teamsters has one point four million members. And they're the ones who are probably the most well known by the average Job, thanks to one Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. Do you know his story? Uh a little bit here or there. Um the whole mob involvement I think with the um with any union was they realized that there's a bunch of guys um who are sitting on enormous piles of money. And let's see how much of that we can steal or get our hands on or use to build ourselves casinos. Right. And Jimmy Hoffa was in with these guys, and he just went missing, right, in 1975?
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's any secret what happened to him, but uh, they definitely don't know exactly what happened. I I thought the whole point was was.
2: it was a secret what happened to him.
3: Well, he was snuffed out. Oh. I I don't think he, you know. Just had a heart attack while hiking in the wilderness, and his body decomposed naturally. Well, he was supposedly
2: going... He was last seen waiting on two mafia associates. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a dead <laughs> giveaway, too. Yeah. But his son, James P. Hoffa, um, has really kind of brought the family name back tremendously. Yeah, he's the head of the Teamsters today, right? Yes, he is. He's the president of the Teamsters Union um, and is uh, doing a lot of work toward... Um, Legi- re-legitimizing um, unions again in right. this country, which is pretty cool.
3: Well, anyone who's ever been on a film set and has seen a two uh, hundred and seventy-five pound man eating a donut, uh, sitting in his truck, <laughs> you can say I've met a Teamster, and yeah. they do great work.
2: And they're basically there's a, I can't remember the number, but they they're if you're an industrial worker, you're uh, basically eligible to be a teamster. Yeah, and in just about any kind of industry.
3: I'm gonna get hate mail for that.
2: Oh, you'll be fine. There's like two guys that you described who listen to this podcast, so you get two pieces of hate mail.
3: If I was a teamster, I would do nothing but listen to this podcast because you're just sitting around all day. Yeah. <laughs> That's not true. Teamsters do great work, but on film sets, it's sort of the old joke is that like they'll park the truck and then they sit in it. Until they leave in the truck,
2: you know the um that there was another Simpsons reference just came up with the um, the one where that film for Radioactive Man comes to town, uh, yeah, and Homer tries to see who can out lazy the the teamsters.
3: <laughs> Good stuff.
2: That is just a, a stereotype, although.
3: Yeah, but stereotypes are there for a reason, right? Is not funny. Is not funny.
2: I don't have anything else. You got anything else? Um, no, I, I guess I think we covered pretty much everything. Yeah,
3: it's a nice broad overview. People can, and like you said early on, man, you hit it on the head, my friend. Thank you. Whether or not you are pro-union or anti-union largely depends on your family's background. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very <clears throat> tried and true uh, thing through through families, through generations that you know, people feel very strongly about it that are involved in unions, or like my actually, my parents were in the teachers' union.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. You're a union kid, huh?
3: Yeah, but that that wasn't like factory stuff. Like I, I never heard them uh, right. besides complaining about not making enough
2: money, which every teacher should complain about. Sure. Um, I, and if you don't have any kind of passionate feelings about it whatsoever, I would advise you to look into it. Yeah, and. If you do have passionate feelings about it, uh, I think a great exercise would be to explore how the other side sees it and see if it changes your mind one way or the other. Look at you. Um, You can do that by reading this fascinating article that we just based this podcast on, um, How Unions Work. Uh, You can type that in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. You can also go on to WAPO. There was a pretty cool um, editorial. That's the Washington Post, by the way. That's right. Um, the Wisconsin Union fight isn't about benefits. It's about labor's influence from March 6, 2011. That's a good article. That was a good article, too. And I already said search bar, uh, which means it's time for Listener Mail.
3: You know, our buddy Joe Garden, was, uh, he's a scony. Oh, he, yeah. He was really upset last year.
2: You can tell. You, you can see right through his skin. He's so pale. He's translucent.
3: <laughs> Vote Joe Garden. Yeah. Big craft work guy.
2: Oh, yeah. Did he get tickets?
3: No, he did it. Uh, he promoted his own craft work. Um, I believe it was a craft work covers show. Oh, cool. And he got different bands to come and play craft work. And it was a big deal for Joe. It was, it was awesome. It yeah. was, he, he wore his white suit and introduced everyone. And that
2: is sweet. When was that?
3: Uh, very recently.
2: Did you see footage of her or were you there?
3: No, he was just, uh, he, he wouldn't shut up about it on Facebook. Oh, and gosh. even admitted, like, guys, I know you're tired of hearing about craft work.
2: That is significant yeah. for Joe. Yes. Um, yeah. There's also, uh, I guess, kind of in with the music sampling episode, there's, I think, a DJ Food or a DJ Shadow. I think DJ Food craft um, cover mix. Yeah. There's like maybe three volumes of it, and it's like just mixing them together, all these people who like sampled work for their songs. Yeah, they just
3: did a big thing at the some museum, I at think. At MoMA? Yeah,
2: yeah. Oh my God. I, we, Yumi and I tried very hard to get those tickets. <laughs> did you try? No, dude. Dude, it was such a into it. cluster.
3: I'm not into work and this solidifies it when I saw the reviews of it, and it said they did like a 21 minute of Autobahn, and I was just like, somebody put a gun to my head. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Oh, you're just supposed to zone out and forget where you are for a little bit and see, so. see where it takes you.
3: I'm not a crap work guy, but I know people are. People love No,
2: me. I'm not a crap work guy either. Like um, but I will say that like that would have been just a momentous just a momentous thing to see. Moma intus? Pretty much. <laughs> okay. Like the Tupac hologram. I'm sure seeing that at Coachella was just amazing.
3: Yeah, and a bit way more amazing for some people than others even. Sure. All right. So should I read a listener mail? I guess. I'm going to call this uh, a good cause. We like to promote these. And attach it to our labor union episode, how appropriate. Big, big fan, guys. I was just down at South by Southwest where I caught your variety show and shook your surprisingly supple hands. Uh, I have <laughs> <You've> never s- <laughs> done a lick of work. <laughs> I know. I also sat on a panel called Harnessing the Power of the Benevolent Internet, uh, something you guys seem pretty skilled at yourselves, which is why I thought... You might be game to help students across the country learn all sorts of stuff they should know. In many cases, it's stuff they need to know. Uh, I work for a nonprofit website called donorschoose.org, uh, where anyone with a dollar can give support to classrooms in need. Teachers from all 50 states post requests for resources they feel their students need, and kind folks from all over the world help bring those lessons to life. Oh, that's cool. Sounds almost sort of like a Kiva for teachers
2: right. I need 50 tickets to craft work at <laughs> Uh
3: since our founding in 2000 we've delivered over 110 million dollars of resources directly to public school classrooms supporting more than 6 million students uh, and if you or my fellow listeners
2: would like to help you or my fellow listeners do you have listeners fellow listeners ok we have listeners that listener has fellow listeners ok
3: uh, check out the page I set up. He set up a page with our name, and I was like, that's cool, you can do that, but we're not like, we can't officially, like, sign on, because then it has to go through corporate and all that stuff. Oh, well,
2: oh, I already signed us on officially. Oh, you did? I made t shirts and everything. No,
3: <laughs> didn't. Uh, so you can go to uh, org slash stuff kids should know, and um, let me know if you have any questions. And this is from Zach. And he said, "By the way, we recently hired a system admin a couple of months back. It drove me crazy for a few weeks. Then I realized he sounds exactly like
2: Josh. Weird."
3: And he said, "I've enjoyed working with you, Josh."
2: Who is the other voice double for me? There's another person. There was some dude.
3: Well, there's a writer that writes about running.
2: He wrote one thing about running. It's Josh once, Clark, <laughs> and I've been asked five hundred <laughs> times if it was me. What's ironic? You started now I actually <laughs> run. <laughs> you should write your own article. Yeah,
3: um, I can't remember. There was some other voice person that did like bike videos or something. I don't
2: know. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, if uh, okay, who is that?
3: That was Zach. Thanks, Don- Zach. Donorschoose.org/slash/kids/stuff kids should know.
2: That's great. Donorschoose.org/slash/stuff kids should know. Indeed, nice. Uh, if you have a great charitable organization you want us to let everybody know about, again, we're always happy to do that. And if uh, I sound like somebody, let me know, because it's driving me crazy who it is. I've heard from like a bunch of people, oh, you sound just like this or whatever.
3: Yeah, remember. or I want to hear from people who have um, actively been on a worker strike, or if you have been a scab, as they call them, oh yeah, and been a strike buster.
2: Or I want to hear about that, too. if you've ever been beaten up by the cops, we want to hear about that too. Yes. And anarchists, any anarchists out there? We're always interested in hearing from anarchists, I guess. I got shut down by the cops in Athens one night. You get beat up, there's difference. No, but they like threw me
3: against the wall and like were kicking my legs out from under me and just, yeah, it was wish. weird. And then they just left.
2: Are you sure there were cops and not just some? Eternity boys dressed up as cops? Athens
3: police in a car, me and my three friends. I don't know what they thought we were doing, but they they got out of there really quick, I'll say that.
2: They must have thought you were somebody else. Kevin Smith. Or the reality of their situation hit them and they realized that what they were doing was wrong. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, You can communicate with Chuck and I electronically via Twitter at SYSKpodcast. That's our handle. Uh, facebook.com slash you should know, or you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at discovery.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?
3: 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at visible.com for data management practices and additional terms. Visit visible.com. The visible monthly rate is $25 per month.
1: If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the marketing school podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.